So hopefully everything's going to work today. We've had a few technical issues earlier on, but the guys have been working really hard to get things going. Um, what I want to do today is to talk about uh, a word, which is, I'm going to say shaka, and if that's not how you say it, I don't actually really care. Um, <laughs> because you'll still get the same meaning. All right. So the word shaka means to depress or prostrate and homage or loyalty to God, to bow down, to fall down, to fall down flat, okay? So it's about bowing down. It's a physical thing that people do. And so in Alexis Psalm 29, verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And so this act of worship is actually to, to bow down before God. And um, another one would be in... So there we go. It kind of might look a bit like that, might not. Um, Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And so the very act of, of bowing down, of being flat on the floor or on our faces, it's about taking a low position. And the act of lowering ourselves physically um, of our own free will rather than being forced to do that is to declare with our bodies that the person we are kneeling in front of is in some way worthy of praise or, or, or superior to us. We're saying, I'm going lower because I'm lifting you higher or you're going to be higher. And so in our heads, probably we think of kind of maybe this ancient kind of thing of, um, of a king and a throne room and somebody going low, coming under authority um, and that that person who has authority also then has the authority to bestow responsibility and authority on another person. On the other side of it, if we think about suddenly refusing to bow down or refusing to go on their knees before an authority, there's a sense in which um, there's a defiance or, or a rebellion uh, in that way. But we choose to go low to come under authority to declare that, that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and so we see this in other areas of our society, like you quite often see it every year in Wimbledon, in tennis, that if somebody from the royal family is there, that, that they'll, they'll buy, that they'll make themselves low um, as, a, as a mark of respect of the authority that they are under, um, or if it's the queen. Um, and the thing about the queen uh, of England, or, or actually a lot of um, people of royalty, of dignitaries from, from quite a lot of other countries, is that there's certain etiquette, certain ways you have to approach them, certain things you can do or, or not do. So you can't touch the Queen. You have to bow or curtsy if you're a woman. You have to adhere to a certain dress code if you're meeting the Queen, and you can only speak when spoken to. As all these things, it's, there's a certain way in which you must uh, approach her. And so we can do that, we can come before God or we can come before authority and we can bow down, we can do the things physically, but actually our heart might be somewhere completely different. That actually just the experience of, of kneeling down or bowing down, it might demonstrate from the outward that you're coming under authority, that you honour, that you glory, that you're lifting the other person up. But actually, that might not be what's going on in our hearts. Uh, and so sometimes this, this idea of kneeling, we've kind of reduced it to a physical thing. And so um, anybody having a flashback right now with this image, this little, I don't know, it could be a boy, it could be a girl. Um, 
on their knees praying. And um, this, actually, I saw this image the other day, and, and it actually just was like, I was like, a, I was a child again. And so when I was a child, I was taught a bit like this, that, and, and a lot of children are, or certainly were in my day, that you get down on your knees at the side of your bed, and, and you put your hands together, and you bowed your head, and you closed your eyes, and you prayed because that's the only kind of prayer that actually works okay it's because and, and so you know, like when I gave my life to Jesus I had to get down on my knees at the side of my bed and give my life to Jesus and I had to make sure my hands were like this and my head was bowed my eyes were closed and I was so terrified of going to hell that I became a Christian so many times maybe hundreds literally because I thought one of these is going to stick one of these is going to be heard by God and if I get down on my knees there's a higher chance and, and so then, uh, kind of more recently, we get these little things like, God answers email. Okay, it's kind of like a dad joke slash spiritual thing. Um, and, you know, so, so even what this is doing is saying that if, if you pray on your knees, God is more likely to hear you and more likely to answer your prayers. Uh, and what we can do in that is, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but what I'm saying is, why do we? And if we do, what is the posture of our hearts, not just the posture of our bodies? Um, and so let's not reduce things. Actually, elsewhere in Scripture, we see that God talks about things that are physical that don't, make, that don't mean that we're necessarily spiritual. So, and, and, uh, and the Bible talks about this in relation to circumcision. And it says in Romans 5, verse 20 and 29, For if a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. So what Paul is saying is, you think you're great because you're a Jew, and you have a physical outward sign of that, which is circumcision, that that makes you okay with God. But Paul's actually saying, it's not the physical outward thing. God looks to the heart. And is the heart set apart? Has the par- heart, our heart, been dedicated to God? Because that's what we're really looking for here. <coughs> so whether it is easy or possible for us to be on our knees, physically or not, God is looking to the heart to see us spiritually on our knees. Therefore, this posture of submission is something that we can all do. So I'd highly recommend that you do it physically, but if you can't, you don't lose out. My dad, he has, um, on his left knee, he has a knee replacement up, uh, he's had a knee replacement up, but he had to wait so long to get it done, thanks to the National Health Service, that his right hip is now damaged. And so for him to bow down or to kneel down would be quite difficult. But it doesn't mean that, that he has to lose out in humbling himself and submitting himself to God. In fact, um, what scripture tells us is that the sacrifice that God desires is a, is a broken, a contrite, a submitted spirit. Um, that God will not reject that. A repentant heart is what God is looking for. So God is looking to the heart. And yes, we have these outward, visible, physical symbols. But God is looking deeply into our hearts. So everyone gets to bow down 
whether we can do that physically or not. Everybody gets to submit, to go low before God, to raise him up, um, whether we find that physical action easy or not. Um, Matt Redman, um, like a little bit of Matt Redman now and again, but um, is a worship leader and he wrote an album um, which is back in the olden days. Um, they used to put collections of songs together in, in, a, in a defined kind of like a CD, which is like a circular <laughs> disc and you put it in a machine and, and makes sound like music. Um, so anyway, he, he wrote the song face down and it says... Welcomed in to the courts of the king, I've been ushered into your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground with every step I tread with reverence and I'll fall face down as your glory shines around. And he goes on to say in another song on the same um, album that uh, worship starts with seeing God, that our hearts respond to his revelation So as we enter into God's presence, as we experience him, something happens in us and we respond in worship and thanks and praise. We respond by going low physically. We respond by repenting of our sins. But only as God reveals himself, because God is the initiator of that relationship. He brings revelation of himself through knowledge, through the experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's from that place that then we respond. And what do I want to do today, just to kind of flesh that out a little bit, is to look um, at a passage in Leviticus, um, as you do. Um, and it should be familiar. I think I taught on this last year. But basically, let me give you a bit of context. The children of Israel have been journeying in the desert with uh, God um, through the leadership of Moses for a period of time and, and God has, is going to dwell and rest amongst them and so there's a whole kind of series of chapters where they build a tabernacle, it's a fancy tent and, and a courtyard for God's presence to come and dwell but God in revealing himself and revealing his presence also has to reveal his holiness and his goodness and therefore he has to reveal that there is sin and for people to come to him they can't just walk in and be like hi God it's me because they're sinful. They cannot enter the presence of a holy God. And so there's a series of sacrifices, uh, a sacrificial system that's put in place to explain to people. And, and you have to remember the context of um, the kind of people that, that were around in those days. That child sacrifice on altars to false gods was a common thing. That sexual abuse around that kind of sacrificial system in pagan cultures was a common thing. That murder and death and exploitation were the norm in that society. And so God has to actually show the entire world through one people group who he is. What good and evil are all about and what holiness looks like. And so... God wants to to lead the people through a system that will show them, that will demonstrate, that will help them get into their head that the sin is bad, the sin has consequences, and that includes death. And and so God takes, um, actually, Moses' brother and his family and ordains them as priests to operate in God's tabernacle. For that to happen, they have to be ritually cleansed. And so we read in Leviticus 8. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, 
The anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread without yeast. And gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded and the assembly gathered at the tent of meeting. And so they make sacrifices and Aaron and the priests are ceremonially washed. They're dressed in ceremonial robes which have very specific instructions about how they are to be made. They're anointed with oil. The altar is anointed with oil. The utensils that they're going to use in the tabernacle are anointed with oil. And they have their, their burnt offerings and their sin offerings and their ordination offerings. And a wave offering, which I assume include waving. Um, and all of this takes place just for them to be able to administer the sacrifices to God. And the whole ordination process takes seven days and then Aaron and the priests are ready to start ministering before God in the tabernacle and so then it says on the eighth day they're ready to uh, administer these sacrifices as an act of worship before the Lord and so they have to take a bull for a sin offering they have to take a ram for a burnt offering a male goat for a sin offering a calf and a lamb for a burnt offering they have to have an offering that involves uh, grains and, and oil all of these offerings are, are given because sinful people cannot come into the presence of a holy God. And God is using these symbols to say it has to cost something. There has to be a sacrifice. Sin has consequences. And so we read in um, verses 5 and 6, 5 to 7 of Leviticus uh, chapter 9, they took the things Moses commanded uh, to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do. And listen to this, so that the glory of the Lord may appear. All these things that have to be done are so that the glory of the Lord may appear. So Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering, your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for your people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Everything is done in this specific and prescribed way. So then I'm, going to, I'm skipping down to verse 22, and it says that then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. After performing all these sacrifices and offerings, a lot of blood. There was a lot of blood shed. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. A fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw this, they shouted for joy and fell down. So after eight days of sacrifices and anointing, of animals dying, of ceremonial um, procedures, going through all of this over and over and over again, after eight days... Was it worth it? Because the glory of the Lord comes amongst them. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Everybody got to see the actual presence of God. 
And the glory of the Lord is the beauty of God, the beauty of his spirit. It's the beauty that emanates from his character and all of his goodness is revealed to people. Here's a little quote from Rick Warren. He says, what is the glory of God? It is who God is. It is the essence of his nature, the weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, the atmosphere of his presence. You know, particularly days, and I'm sure there were people thinking, like, is all this really worth it? Is it really worth all this sacrifice and hanging around and what are they doing wearing those robes and how many animals have to die here and there's another perfectly good cow or sheep or, or whatever that we've had to graze and look after and away. And then the glory of the Lord falls. The awesome, near, close presence of God. All the grumbling stops because the physical presence of God comes near. And God does that to us, you know. God reveals himself and his nature to us. His presence comes near. And in those moments, we can hardly take it in. We can't really make sense of it. God's presence is near and close to us. It's hard to experience. And um, I was trying to think about an experience in my life where I was like, I can't really take I can't fully take this in. And so years ago, um, we went on a family holiday and we went to America. We were staying in Arizona, but we drove five hours to go to the Grand Canyon. And unfortunately, there was a lot of vomiting on this trip and a lot of young children crying and stuff like that. And you thought, are we ever going to get to the Grand Canyon to see this thing? But when we did, what we realized was it was awesome. It was amazing. It, it was hard to take in. It, it was incredible. It was beautiful. Mm. And you see these people here and then the wall. And it kind of looks like somebody stuck a photograph of the Grand Canyon in front of them. <laughs> when you're there, it's exactly the same. You're looking at the Grand Canyon going, I know I'm actually here. I know this is actually the Grand Canyon. But this doesn't look real. This looks like a picture. This looks like, you know, is this even here? It's hard to take in. The Grand Canyon's 277 miles long. I didn't measure that. I just looked it up. Um, and it's on average 10 miles across. It's vast. It is wonderful. It is amazing. It's hard for the mind to take in. How much more when God's glory falls, when his presence comes, that we go, wow. Isn't he incredible? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? And because of the blood of Jesus, we don't need to do all those sacrifices. We get to come into his presence. And when we see him, when he chooses to reveal himself, it is more than reasonable to think that we might fall down before him. And so what happens uh, when the glory of God comes in our story in, in Leviticus is actually that fire comes down out of the presence of God, so um, out, of the, out of the cloud in which God's presence was dwelling. And it consumes the sacrifices. And then this really weird thing happens. It says, Fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. When all the people saw that this, they shouted for joy and fell face down. 
So they're like, yay, oh no. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to, somebody beeps a horn and you go to wave at a car and then you realise you're not waving at you and so you're like. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like you go to do one thing, but then you're trying to, it doesn't seem like the right response. And so you try to do something else. You know, like, you know, um, people who go for a shaking of hand and then the person goes for a hug. And again, you're, you're going here and then you have to go around and you're like, what am I going to do here? I, I don't know what to do. And, and so in a completely different way. But these people, the glory of God falls around. Yay, that's really amazing. Oh my goodness. He just sent fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice and the actual presence of God has come. And so actually the more appropriate response is, is not to be yay, but it's something down here. It's something like, and they're probably thinking, please don't and so when the glory of God comes we should expect that the encounter leaves us different we should expect that, that, that there's a response required when the revelation where we're like oh my goodness what do we do do we shout do we dive um, God's presence is coming and wouldn't it be great if in life we even saw that a little bit, a little bit more? How often are we aware of God's presence to the point where we think, I need to get on my knees here? Because like the images at the start, the king has come into the room and the appropriate, the right response for me is not to be just good worship song there do you know it's great maybe put my hand up a wee bit maybe the appropriate response is down on our knees maybe the appropriate response is beyond our knees if we can um to be on our faces because we're saying with our bodies and it's coming from somewhere in our hearts god you're worthy you're worthy of glory and honor and thanks and praise i believe that when revival comes that this will be a normal experience for us inside and outside of the church that we will feel and sense the near presence of God that we'll stop what we're doing and we will respond to what he is doing that we'll get ourselves right before God that we will repent of our sin we'll probably start repenting of sin that we didn't even think was sin and things that we're maybe not even sure are sin but because God's presence is there we want nothing to do with sin or anything to do with it that we want to make sure we're right before God and what happens to us in these these face down experiences when we're submitting to God that we experience a revelation Your revelation is the disclosure of the divine or sacred reality or purpose or presence of God to humanity it's a revelation of who God is Fear comes from that revelation. When the presence of God came, I think one of the reasons why the children of Israel fell to the ground is because they were actually afraid. What's going to happen now? Because they were on a journey of getting to know God. And there there are kind of two main types of fear when it comes to how we encounter God. There's the fear of, oh no, he's going to burn me up and I need to get out of here. And then there's... A different fear, and that different fear comes 
to people who are sons and daughters of God, who know that they're loved, who know that they're seen by him, who know that they're welcomed by him, where we have a sense of reverence and honor that we want to glorify. It's a fear, it's, it's a kind of how do I position myself before God right now kind of thought. Um, and I think actually throughout church history, we see a pendulum swing between kind of like people that fear God because he's going to burn them up and so we're all afraid and we're told you need to be afraid and then we have the other then we kind of think well that, maybe you know we should have slightly less of that fear so then we talk about hey God's your mate and your body and Jesus is your your friend and and it's all kind of like that and and I think church history in the long term tends to swing between those two things but there needs to be this place that we find ourselves just completely um understanding and seeing that the, the, the beauty and the wonder of God that we fear but it's more about that we're careful in his presence because we understand who he is and so the revelation of this shaka this on our worship where we respond by getting on our knees um, it's about coming and saying God you are God and I am not you're the boss I am not you're the authority in the room I'm not. It can be a, a cry for help when we get down on our knees. Like, God, I need you. I need you to move. I need you in my life. I'm getting on my knees here. I'm admitting that I am weak and I need your intervention right now. The, the place on our knees can be a place of intercession where we're, we're coming down on our knees and we're saying, God, again, I need you to move. Here's the situation. Here's the circumstance. I'm asking you. I'm saying I can't do anything about this. I need you to move. It can be just a place where we express deep emotion. We see that Jesus threw himself on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he wept, that he was sorrowful, but it was also the place of encounter. And so the bowing down of our lives is a place of encounter. Whether um, we do that physically or metaphorically, as I said earlier, it's not just about whether you can get on your knees or not. It's about the submission of your heart and your posture of your heart towards God. And we experience his glory. We're saying, I need you and I need more of you. Uh, John Wimber um, he founded the Vineyard Movement. He, he said a, a little clever little thing. He said, you know, most people want Jesus as saviour, but they don't want him as, as Lord. We want to be rescued, but we don't want to be submitted. And when we're on our knees, we're saying, not, you're not just saviour. Thanks for rescue. You're Lord. I want to follow you all of my life in all ways and in doing that we're saying I'm not going and getting my needs met I'm not going to get filled from other things what I want is to be satisfied by your presence satisfied by the encounter of your glory a little quote from uh, John Piper he says if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. That's an amazing quotation, but it's so true. We spend our lives nibbling at the small things of the world, trying to fill us, trying to make ourselves satisfied, when actually what we need is to drink deeply of the presence and of the glory of God. Thank <laughs> you.
anybody for a picnic as we hear the rain. Um, well, you can drink deeply outside if you want as well. Um, so just another couple of minutes, and I want, want to talk about um, how we go lower and how we go deeper into God's presence. And so I wanted to do this very briefly um, by just reading from a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 47, 1-6. It says, the man, this is, Ezekiel has a vision of, uh, of God and um, of the temple. Uh, you probably be reasonably familiar with it. Uh, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward and measured with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cupids and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cupids and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one else could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Do you see this? And in this passage, what we have is this sense in which God's presence is flowing out from the temple. And we see that God's presence is everlasting, that is not measurable, that it comes and it comes and it comes. But like Ezekiel, we need to decide whether we want to dip a toe in it or go in ankle deep or go up to our, to our knees or to our waist. That Actually, we could go so deeply into this water, into God's presence, that we would lose control. Our feet would come off the bottom and out we'd be completely immersed in his presence. God is calling us deeper. For us to go deeper, we need to go lower into his presence. Let me uh, just read you a little quotation. This is from um, a woman called Heidi Baker. And she says, Ezekiel knew what it meant to go deeper. The waters into which he was invited poured straight from the temple of God. And we also are called to enter them. The source of the river is God himself. The river flows from his throne and makes the heavenly city glad. Just as natural rivers always flow into low places, so the river of God flows into the lowly places. In order to enter it, we have to go lower and lower still. When we are bent down, kneeling down, bowed down and laid down, we will find him. If we are low enough in the spirit, we will recognise even a trickle of God's presence in a room. We will not be concerned with our position, our place or anything else that might hinder us. Our overwhelming desire will be full immersion in the river. And she goes on to say, I'm learning to live in that place of lower still. I know that I'm able to go there from inside my room, from a walk in the woods, or from an airplane. I can get there from almost anywhere. The lower I go, the deeper towards the heart of God I find myself. Once I am so low that the waters of his spirit completely cover me, 
God takes me beyond all words and all understanding. The question for all of us is this. How low do you want to go? How laid down, how yielded do you want to be? I believe that we have a choice about how deeply we wish to dive into God. And as I finish, you know, that's where the challenge lies for us. Is how deeply into God's presence do we want to go? And today, you know, I think one of the things that God has been saying to us in the room is, you know, we can find ourselves bowing down to lots of different things, to difficult circumstances. We can find ourselves bowing down before our circumstances and letting circumstances dictate our reality. To things that just distract us, we can find ourselves bowing down to those things. But when we bow down, when we submit, when we come before God with everything that we have, He comes and encounters us. He brings a revelation of his glory and of his presence. And everything else changes. Our circumstances might be still there, but how we see them and how we view them change. How we understand what God is doing changes. That is the place of encounter that God has for us. If we will humble ourselves. And we can do that physically. And if you can't do that physically, you can still humble yourself before God. You can honour and glorify him with everything that you have. So listen, why don't we stand because we've run out of time and uh, we need to let our wonderful children's ministry workers go. But let's pray together.